another podcast, another day. Oh wait, another, another day, day, another po- another day, another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Two seconds into it, I already messed it up. Um, <laughs> welcome everybody. Welcome to our second episode of Hot Pot Haggis, where we talk about pretty much everything that we can potentially think of. And I believe today we're gonna talk. Well, we're gonna start off with a story. Um, or a few stories about some awkward encounters that we uh, find ourselves in when we first move to a foreign country. So this is going to be very interesting. Yep, yep, very interesting indeed. And I think um, Yukon's going to kick off with a story in the United Kingdom where he gets confused by the money system. Yeah. Well, you know, it's normal. It's only normal that I get confused because i'm from a communist country so you know we don't use money that much (laughs) (laughs) i don't think that you still trade vegetables you know i think there's definitely a lot of uh, a lot of money in that communist country now no we don't we don't trade vegetables we trade like cows and yaks and um also uh shells and other stuff wow actually where, where i'm from in the countryside we still do that too Really? Yeah, my mom like goes and picks up some eggs and then she drops off some herbs later as like a, you know, token of gratitude. Yeah, it was the good old times. I mean, you know, it was very different compared to the life in the UK. You know, when I moved to the UK, I was like, ah, it's a brave new world. (laughs) Everything's different, you know, everything's so advanced and you have cars, machines, electricity pretty yeah. wild that is wild yeah and when you first saw money like how how did you feel i didn't know what it is i didn't know what it is i nearly yeah i almost wiped my ass with it but wow turns out i couldn't so yeah so what so anyway. you, you tried to use it yeah <laughs> i really did try to use it you know like actually <clears throat> use it not spend it um but this is this is a story about this is a story about the new one pound coins um, so I mentioned before that, you know, I went to University of Manchester for my bachelor's degree, but I spent one year away from Manchester during that time. So it was uh, between mid 2016 to late 2017. I spent that one year doing an exchange study in Melbourne. So I was essentially away when the UK was, you know, changing their whole one pound coin system. So the old one pound coin, if you haven't seen one before, is basically like a little round golden nugget. But the new one pound coin that they issued during that time was basically the same as almost the same, right? A smaller version of the two pound coin that they have, that they still have, which is a golden nugget in the middle and a silver ring around it. Can we, sorry, Yukon, just to go back, when you say yeah. golden golden nugget, could you just clarify? It's not actually a nugget. It's not actually a nugget, you know? It's not like, you know, chicken nugget you, that you find yeah. at McDonald's. Yeah, uh, but, but when you looked small, at it, when you looked a small at it, button. Yeah. Yeah. you like saw a small it as button. a golden nugget, as a, as a sort of golden nugget, like you were that impressed by the coin. Well, I mean, I, I've never seen money before, you know, so it's like yeah. anything, it's impressive. Wow. <laughs> And just to clarify, what exactly made you go to Australia for this gap here? Um, to explore the wilderness and right. also to disprove to disprove the flat Earth theory. You know, because a lot of people say that Australia is fake. So I wanted to see for myself and to experience the local wildlife. Yeah, and it did turn out that everyone in Australia was a government-hired actor that's faking the whole country. <laughs> So I guess the flat earth people did have something right. <laughs> flat earth is real, people. It is real. <laughs> it's real. It yeah. doesn't exist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so back to the golden nuggets then. Yeah, so back to the golden nugget. Well, the golden nugget, when, when I left the UK, the golden nugget was still there. It was the same old, good old golden nugget. But when I came back, golden nugget was no more. Wow. But I didn't know that. Yeah, in my head, you know, the golden nugget was still the same old golden nugget that I had. Um, so it was the first night I, I landed in Manchester and I moved to a new place. You know, I don't have 
I pretty much have to like start decorating my room and putting stuff in there from ground zero, right? Everything that I had before was gone. So I was in some really dire need to find some bed linens because without those, I couldn't sleep the first night. And my place was quite on the outskirt of the city. So I had to get in town, go to Primark, you know, because I was a student. Um, okay, so you got off bed. the plane from Melbourne yeah. in Manchester. And the first thing that popped into your head was, I need to buy some bed linen. <laughs> yeah. Well, because it was, it was like 4 p.m. already. It wasn't. Oh, ah, like, okay. Yeah, okay. it wasn't like early. I, I didn't get there at like 9 a.m. in the morning. Um, so... I really needed to get those things because I, I wanted to get that done before shops are closed, right? And it was a Saturday. So on weekends, in my head, I was like, ah, shops usually close early, so I got to hurry. Mm. So I had, I had some spare change in my pocket. And I was just trying to figure out how much money it was. But I was in a hurry, really. So I, I saw like a two-pound coin, which was, you know, the nugget with a ring. And then a few others that looked just like it. Um, so I thought, okay, I definitely have it covered because the bus fare is only one pound fifty, and if I have so many two pounds, nobody's gonna stop me to go there and from getting back. So I went, right? I I got on the bus, and the bus driver said one pound fifty, please. I said okay, gave him two pound, give me fifty b back. Everything was fine. And when I was on my way home, okay, um, had all of these gigantic. Primark, Primark bags with me. I got on the bus. It was there was a, quite a long queue, so everyone was kind of impatient. So was the bus driver. You know, he's probably been driving all day and is angry, didn't like his job. And when it came to me, he was like one pound fifty. I was like, okay. So I gave him one of the golden nuggets with a ring, right, with a silver ring on, on the outside. I was thinking that was two pound. And he was like, this is not enough. You, ha um, I can't give you a ticket for this. And in my head, I thought he knew that it was two pound and that in my head, I, I thought he also knew that bus fare was only one pound fifty. But he didn't know that I didn't know it wasn't two pound. So I was like, you know what? I don't need the change because I was thinking he, he's asking me. He's giving me a hard time. He's trying to ask for the exact change. He's asking for exactly one pound fifty, which I didn't have. Or I probably had a 50p in my pocket, but I just didn't want to reach for it again. So I was like, you know what? You don't have to even give me the change. Just give me a ticket. Let me go home. And he's like, I can't give you a ticket like this. I said, I don't need the change. I just need a bus ride home. And I got pretty pissed off. And we both got like, you know, kind of impatient. And I was really confused. And then this, this guy behind me, he was like, he just reached out and he gave the bus driver 50p. And he was like, just give, me a, give him a ticket and let him, let him on the bus. And I was, I was really, I was pretty shook up. I was like, why is he giving the bus driver extra money? Like now, between the two of us, we've given the bus driver £2.50, which is £1 extra on top of the bus fare, just so that I get one ticket. That's really, really unfair. I was Perhaps like, that, that, yeah, like that man might have felt pissy for you because you looked tired and you had your... <laughs> I had no idea. Well, you know, there. I mean, granted, there are a lot of nice people out there in this world, and they do all of these nice things to other people. So, you know, God bless that guy, where whoever he is. Um, but you know, in the heat of the moment, I didn't. I didn't really pursue for it. I just said thank you, and then I went off. Right, I went up, and then I was just sitting there. I was sitting there. And I was thinking, this is so weird. Like, how come? Bus driver would demand two pound fifty for a for one ticket. Like there's no reason for that to happen. And so I started thinking, oh, maybe I was wrong. And I started checking all the coins in my pocket. And I realized, you know, the new nugget, the new nugget with a ring, was one pound. It wasn't two pound. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's yeah. actually two different types of nuggets. There's yeah, it turns out to be two different kinds, and I was like, wow, like I must have been a complete idiot back there, like everyone yeah. must have hated me. Yeah. Yeah. And did you manage I, I to? Remember, yeah. I remember I used to take the bus in Manchester all the time, and man, I hated those people that were just 
holding up the whole queue for some like stupid petty reasons. So, yeah. Yeah, it that's was, it. I was, mean, was, think, think, things can change when you go abroad for a year. I think yeah, that's, uh, it's really embarrassing. You know, it was really embarrassing. And I, was, I started looking around the bus to find that guy because I wanted to, you know, clarify to him. And I also had money in my pocket so I can give him back. But then I couldn't find him anywhere. I think he probably already got off the bus. So when I was getting off the bus, I tried to explain it to the bus driver. But I don't think he understood what I was saying. Yeah. I just said, uh, I just said, thank you. <laughs> it was, I think... Yeah. Uh, he probably had a lot of people trying to not pay the full fare that day, so I don't think he, I don't think he would have wanted to speak to you again. <laughs> no. Yeah. no. Anyway, that's it. I mean, you go away for a year to Melbourne, you come back, and everything has changed. Like the world as you everything know it is changed. Man. Everything's yeah, no changed. It, it used to be only one pound that mm. bus. I remember. That's why they call it the yeah. magic bus because it's only one pound. It's so cheap it gets you everywhere. That bus is no longer yeah, magic. Italian. No, it was no longer magical. The magic was all gone. When I came home, I saw 150. I was like, there's no magic left in this bus. Yeah. yeah. I say, I mean, I went abroad for two years. When I came back, the uh, turns out Britain had decided to leave Europe. <laughs> 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 I was very shocked. <laughs> Everything came had changed. Broken. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the whole country was uh, divided. <clears throat> anyway, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember. So, I remember people were talking about Brexit before I before I went off to Australia, and I was thinking that's never going to happen until mm. until they voted for it. And I was like, okay. Yeah, I mean, when you say it's never going to happen, it did. It did take a very long time. <laughs> yeah, it did take a long time for that to you know to, for that decision to be final. But once it was, mm. like I think it caught a lot of people by surprise. Well. Yeah, I mean, I think that was back in 2016, and now finally in, in 2020, yeah. it's about to happen. Um, but anyway, yeah, back to, to money. I'm just trying to think about... <laughs> about um, I guess, the for me, the use of money in, in China has changed like greatly since I first got there. I mean, when I first went there in 2015... It was like cash is king. I remember using cash for yeah. everything. Like I always had, yeah. had like disposable, sort of paper money in my wallet to use. You, al you always need cash in your pocket. Like yeah, no, and nobody, no business ever paid any tax. You know, everyone's cash. <laughs> <laughs> but it seemed like everyone else had a lot of cash over there. I mean, everyone was very like cash rich. It seemed, and there was a lot of disposable income. At least in the experiences that I had. Um, mm -hmm. Like when somebody wanted something, they could just buy it. Whereas for me, it took me like hours to contemplate on whether I should spend that five RMB on a coffee or not, you know. So it's, uh, but now it, it seems like, well, of course, everything is now like digitalized. So it's these, mm -hmm. everything is paid for on your mobile phone. I think that's quite a, yeah. big, a big change. It is a huge change. It's a huge change. Like, I get reverse culture shock every single time I came home, mm -hmm. especially so over the past few years. Yeah, yeah, people are paying tax now. I imagine. <laughs> well, they kind of have to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's why the government would. I think that's why the government really pushed for fintech, is because you know, so mm -hmm. they can get some real revenue. Yeah, yeah, um, but but it's crazy, you know, because now now when I get back home, I'm probably the only the only young person who's still using cash all the time. Like I still, I would still keep cash in my pocket wherever I go because I don't have these uh, FinTech stuff on my phone. Like I don't have, I don't have, barely have any money on WeChat Pay. Um, I don't have Alipay. And I've only started using, I've only started paying by cars recently in China. So you know, everything is like, people look at me like I'm some kind of alien. Like, they look at me like, what the, what the hell? You don't have WeChat pay? You don't have anything to pay me on my phone? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> actually, when I went back in, in January and tried to use, like, cash, it, I did get a lot of strange looks. And I think it's become yeah. almost completely obsolete, you know, which is strange. I mean, it's happened so quickly in the space of about it's so five quickly, years. So quickly. I mean, the mm -hmm. vendors in the streets who sells like 
carrots. <clears throat> they have yeah. like this QR code where you scan and pay them on their phone. Like that's mm. that's not how it works. Yeah, that's not but that's when I live here. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, for me, I actually quite like it's very convenient. I mean, it means you never need to carry a lot of money around with you. Um, I guess it only becomes inconvenient if you if you lose your phone or your phone runs out of battery. But to you be honest, it, huge troubles there. Yeah, big trouble. Yeah, I mean, it, it honestly seems like you need your phone for for everything. I mean, I Pretty don't much. think I don't think there's much you could do there without having your phone. I mean, it's a it's a necessity for all of life. And yeah. um, I just wonder if that will happen in Europe, though. I mean, um, perhaps after coronavirus, people will be will not want to use cash. Maybe. But, you know, the, the good thing about using cash is that it has uh, it preserves a certain level of privacy there. Like, you know, with your phone, your phone pretty much knows your entire history as a person. Right. It knows everything about you. So God knows what kind of information you disclose to uh, the businesses that you pay or the people that you pay when you scan a code, right? Yeah. And God knows what kind of information you have to input onto your phone when you're trying to register these cards onto these technologies that you have. But yeah. with cash, you don't have to disclose any of that. You just, like, I'm person A, you're person B, I want to buy this product C, and I give you this cash amount of D, and that's it. You know, yeah. nobody knows who you are and nobody cares. The transaction is transaction. Yeah, that's a very good point, actually. It keeps it confidential and, and strictly t to what it's meant for is uh, business. But when you make a payment on a digital device, it obviously records records the data. It, it, you know, everything is recorded. So, And they can also target you again in the future to make you, to make you spend more. So depending on yeah. your business, it could be a good thing. Depending on your views on privacy, it could be a, a negative thing. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And honestly, um, sometimes I feel like I find myself in large inconveniences. Well, it's really convenient in a way, you know, when you when you can just take your phone with you and you don't have to carry around a wallet or anything. Mm. And you just buy everything you want. You just go anywhere. And you can even use the subway services nowadays if you have your phone. Like they have a um, they have a thing where you can scan at the shutter so you don't have to take like your Oyster cars or whatever. To get in, you just use your phone, and there you go. Mm, um, yeah. But the problem is, like, man, it's so weird because I don't really. I think it's because I haven't been living consistently in China for the past like five years. So my mobile service carrier, they don't really. They 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 probably see me as a flight risk. Like they don't they don't give me my service properly. You know, because I, I always use the lowest amount of plan just to keep my number registered <laughs> on their network. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I only use <clears throat> I only use intensively in like very short bursts when I'm here. Yeah. So when I'm actually here, like the, my SIM card never gets updated. And now they're doing like 4G, 5G, and you have to pretty much change your SIM card every other year or maybe even every year just so that you can receive high quality service and you can get good signals everywhere you go but i haven't updated my sim card since 2016 maybe so my 4g is absolutely crap like yeah i don't have that signal when yeah. i go into the subway so i can't pay with my phone there are buildings where where you have to scan a code just to prove uh -huh. just to prove that you're healthy like they have this health check thing on your phone which is like a coronavirus product right mm. So now, nowadays, when you have to go into certain office buildings or certain public areas, you have to show the, the security guards this thing that proves that you've been healthy for the past two weeks or so. And if they don't have great service in that building, you're 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 screwed because you can't get in. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I heard about that actually. The 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 green code that you need to have on your phone, and I think that was. Mm. Um, implemented for expats expats living in there is living in china as well and i heard uh, i heard a funny story which was there was a factory like bidding to produce t-shirts with a barcode on it for expats and they would wear these t-shirts okay. 
<laughs> and walk and walk around, and then people can scan the code and check if they have the, <laughs> the green healthy, the green healthy outcome. <laughs> so, oh. yeah, that 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 would be something to see, I guess. But I mean, yeah. if they if they asked you to wear it, I guess you would you would have to. Um, That's hilarious. Yeah, and another point is it's interesting what you just said about phone signal because. That's another difference I've noticed. I mean, when I was there before, I was mm-hmm. so impressed with the coverage, uh, the network coverage. I mean, literally anywhere I went, there was like 4G. So even I was on this road to Mount Everest and there was 4G. Yeah. And I was like, what? you know, what the fuck, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. I, lit- I only have signal in the UK about 50% of the time. Um, but anyway, when I came back in 2020 I, and I got this uh, someone gave me a sim card to use and mm-hmm. there was li- I literally never had any signal I mean it was always just cutting out um, the 4G was really slow I wasn't able to use apps like um, DD or you know the internet in an efficient way I yeah. mean it would still work but it was a noticeable difference um, from before so what you said about maybe having to have a recent SIM card uh, to get access to the best network is, is probably why that happened. Yeah, it's kind of weird because, like you said before, like it used to be great. The coverage was just top-notch. Everywhere you go, you, you can even go onto like the, uh, the high-speed rail, right? It's racing at like 300 kilometers per hour, and you still get 4G coverage everywhere. And and even you mentioned you you have 4G near like Mount Everest. I think they probably did it for a publicity stunt. But you know you, you can get those crazy things. Um, but now it's a bit different. I feel like um, maybe it's just the amount, the sheer amount of people that's living in these mega cities. So it makes the 4G network really cramped up. I'm not really a technology expert. I don't know how it works, but. I guess yeah. because too many people can afford 4G nowadays, so that's probably why they start doing 5G. Yeah, 5G I guess so. I mean, better. I mean, obviously there's so many people, and and that could have an effect on it. I mean, certainly even in the UK, if you go to a, a football match or a concert, you're going to have problems with your network. And and in Chinese cities, obviously there is a lot of people grouped into yeah. to one area. So I'm sure they probably will implement 5G soon, and and it would have a big difference. Um, yeah. Just to go back to the point you, we, we were talking about money before, as you reminded me of a preconception I had of China that actually proved to be incorrect. And okay. that was before I moved there. Everyone uh-huh. was telling me like, oh, it's so much fun. Like you can go there and um, haggle on on prices so you can negotiate for, for a good price for, for an item. And right. apparently this was like a huge part of you know, the shopping experience in China. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was quite looking forward to it. And I was like thinking like, oh, how can I practice my negotiating or haggling skills for, for, for items? But when I actually got there, I don't think it ever worked. I mean, on, on, <laughs> on various occasions that like, for example, like street food vendors or in shops. Yeah. And I would try to like... Um, not ask for a discount, but just offer a, yeah. a lower price or try to begin yeah, that yeah. negotiating um, procedure. You always get shut down. I got shut down very quickly, yeah, let me tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, just was not accepted at all. And mm-hmm. it wasn't like, to be honest, I mean, most of these items are so cheap anyway. It's not like I was trying to get a bargain. It's more just like I was yeah. excited. You to, just want to experience it. Yeah. yeah, to experience that. But it just seemed to be... Yeah, it was like a bit of an anticlimax. I mean, nobody nobody was really interested in in uh, negotiating <laughs> these prices. I mean, occasionally, perhaps for like green tea. I mean, the green tea mm-hmm. in Hangzhou was really expensive, and I think in some of the little stores they would they would negotiate a little bit and maybe give you yeah. an RMB off. But <clears throat> when you go to like Walmart or big supermarkets, they're just not going to give you any discounts, you know. Man, I'm joking. I definitely did not ask for trying to negotiate in Walmart. Um, yeah, obviously, I mean for um, for street food and and these like little stores. But um, 
yeah i think that's something that is uh yeah not as as prominent as i as i thought it would be and certainly now i think that a lot of these <clears throat> stores they are gradually like disappearing and, and moving into actual brick and mortar shops um so mm. that whole that whole thing about you know street markets or negotiating prices it could be a thing of the past to be honest yeah well the the whole thing about haggling is that um you know first of all in china um chinese people don't think foreigners get the right to haggle that's why they shut you down straight away <laughs> okay <laughs> well well uh, let's put it this way right like haggling is genuinely like an art I remember uh, when I was when I was younger, when I was little, like four or five years old. Um, I would go shopping with my parents, and we would go to these, um, you know, large department stores. Or sometimes they have these huge buildings where they have individual shops that are owned by, uh, you know, small small scale vendors that sell different kinds of stuff. You go into those places, you, you maybe are after like a clothing item or you maybe are trying to buy shoes, trying to buy things like suitcases, whatever, those, those things that you don't typically buy all the time. Then, and they usually have a higher price tag, right? Those are the things that you can haggle about. And you need a very, very high level of uh, eloquence to be able to haggle with those people running those small businesses because you have to imagine like how many people they're dealing with every day every day and then they're so well trained at uh, shutting down your counter offers so you know they don't have to blink if you're a foreigner that doesn't speak perfect Chinese yeah they can just yeah. knock you out in no time <clears throat> that would yeah. make sense and um i think actually i did uh witness haggling in january at uh in shanghai they have these famous suits uh, markets I, I don't know if you've ever mm -hmm. been um so where, where, where there's all these famous tailors and they they obviously measure you and, and make these yeah um unique suits for you and uh, <laughs> I went there, and there's so many. I mean, there's literally so many of these little shops in the one building. So yeah. you have. Uh, actually, I went with a, a local, and they um, recommended the best ones to go to. And when, when I was in there, I did witness like another tourist or businessman who was maybe living there, trying to negotiate the price, and he just he got like absolutely nowhere. I mean, whatever she said, whatever <laughs> he he said, um, the lady. Her English name was Kate, I think. It's like a maybe yeah. it's actually quite a famous shop, and um, she was just like, no, <laughs> like absolutely not. <laughs> but then yeah. the local person who was with me, um, when she spoke in Chinese, like they did haggle about the price, and they did get the price lowered. Um, yeah. And I think that the Kate, she obviously said like, oh, it's because we know you that that's why we're giving you that discount. Mm. But I just wonder if that's actually about perhaps about face culture i'm not sure it is also i guess it's kind of about face culture as well because and also the thing is um i tend to realize that people who are not from the country you know like in china for a british person um or say for a chinese person in the uk because you're not from here you're most of the time when you speak to people within the society you're you're kind of like on your toes. You're quite timid, so you're always trying. You're always trying to not offend whoever you're speaking to, and that can put you at a great disadvantage because you would always tend to be more agreeable. Whatever they say, you just you're you have a higher tendency to say yes than no, so it gives them more advantage or more leverage over you when they're negotiating, and they can just they can say no to you, but you can't really say no to them. If that makes sense. I think that might be a case. As well. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I mean, especially for British people, as we tend to be overly polite anyway. I mean, we always yeah. try try to say please or thank you, and we're always like very courteous and um, almost over catering to the 
perhaps sensitivity or, or needs of others. So it definitely doesn't work to your advantage when you're trying to negotiate the price of a, a suit in, in Shanghai. But I mean, that is, that is another point that I noticed. I mean, the way of doing a transaction is very much different. I mean, it, it seems to be like, I mean, don't get me wrong, like people are like friendly and funny in China mm. when you purchase something and it, it can be like a very enjoyable um, experience. But yeah. I guess the difference is there's no need to have that mm, sort of courteous element or per- no, not not courteous, but perhaps in, in the UK, it could even be seen as fake. I mean, just to be overly polite or to have to act in a certain way, not to offend the person who's selling you that item where, as in China, I'd say that everyone understands the fact that it is like a, <laughs> a transaction and it is a business and you are buying something. So you can be a bit more like direct and sort of to the yeah. point. Yeah, for sure, uh, for sure. Um, and there's no need to have that sort of um, element surrounding it of the other person's uh, feelings, perhaps. I mean, that's a quite a general yeah. observation, but it, 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 it's definitely noticeable. And to be honest, I quite enjoy it. I mean, when you can just yeah. <laughs> get down to business, it's, uh, it's a different experience and it's, yeah, it's, it's fun, you know. It's a really funny experience. I think next time if you're here, I I, sh- I would definitely show you a place in Beijing. Um, they call it the uh, it's called Hongqiao Market, or they call it the Pearl Market in Beijing. I think it's also a very popular destination for tourists because they're very famous for selling pearl or other kind of jewelries, and it's is a massive, massive market, and they're largely catering to foreign um, travelers. So every every single vendor in there are Chinese, but they all speak almost perfect English. And they're right. so good with haggling. Yeah, like the, some, of the, some of the people that are selling stuff in there, they can speak like up to four or five languages. They can literally be working for like the Bureau of like Foreign Affairs I don't understand why they're selling stuff there. They could literally become a diplomat. Like they speak so many languages. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they do become diplomats. (laughs) Yeah, that's really impressive, actually. So the Hongqiao Peril Market in Beijing. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I would love to see that. I I can imagine. But the thing about that place, the thing about that place is, you know, the haggling is so direct, it's so in your face. You know, when you first encounter into that, situation is it's just you feel like you're going to war with this guy Mm. and then the moment when you agree on the price and you say okay i'm gonna buy that you know you see like a instant and huge gigantic shift in their attitude they just become super nice and super happy (laughs) and they start recommending you stuff they start saying oh i'll help you wrap this up you know I'll, i'll toss this in for you blah 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 and they'll they'll be super happy super nice and yeah, and and yeah. your your experience just like changes, it just yeah. has like a huge turn, and yeah, it's it's really it's really funny, honestly. Like, yeah. but when when you say no, I'm not gonna buy it, they just you know, they could they could almost flip you off. Yeah, you're dismissed immediately. You're dismissed <laughs> immediately. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. But but equally, I mean, I think once you hand over the money, you become irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah. They're all they're only nice when you say when you said yes but haven't paid them. Once yeah. you paid them they're like they're ju- they're just trying their best to like close this and end this conversation as soon as possible and move on to the next customer. Yeah. But that's a good business spirit to be honest. I mean it's it's impressive to be able to run it like <laughs> that and I think in Britain you'd see like it would go on forever. And they probably wouldn't even make a purchase. And there'd be so much uh, small talk and, and nicety. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not efficient to making money, I suppose. Yeah, I, I guess so. I guess so. Well, there's there's beauty in both of them, I guess. You know, mm. I, I kind of like, I kind of enjoyed um, the British way of uh, this, this whole like layer of indirectness. Um, it also has like some kind of, you know, I would say also has some kind of artistic aspects to it, you know. If you can really, if you can really make a good deal while you're playing according to these much more complex set of rules, it is actually, you know, 
it's actually really really you have to be really good at it at least yeah i guess it, i guess you would be and i think a lot of the time in britain when you say something there's about 100 words underneath that are not said but everyone knows <laughs> yeah. yeah so there's all, all these sort of uh, unsaid truths and um you know hidden meanings um when people have a conversation and yeah. you also might just have like an agreement but you don't actually need to state the specific terms i mean it might just be implied and you might shake hands mm -hmm. and you both have a mutual understanding but um you don't really need to set it out in a direct and sort of impolite manner but um i guess it depends it depends on the nature of the business and um I think both are, yeah, both are equally interesting and different. And um, I would certainly like to visit the Hong Chao Pearl Market when uh, when I come back to Beijing. Yeah, yeah, it is a great is a great place to go and just watch people. And you find some really really <laughs> unexpected stuff being sold there as well. Is it, it was every single time I go, it was just an eye opening experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, yeah. um, you see these Chinese vendors speaking perfect English and maybe French or Arabic. And then you see all these like foreign guys and girls that come in here and they start speaking really fluently in Chinese, sometimes even with like a Beijing accent to the to the vendors. And, you know, the, yeah. they make fun of each other when they negotiate. And it, yeah, it, <laughs> it makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. Actually, I mean, um, I was in a taxi in Beijing and there was, uh, and the, I was so impressed with the taxi driver's knowledge and ability to speak in English. And he seemed to have like a very in-depth understanding of things in the United Kingdom. Um, mm -hmm. And he was asking questions about, you know, what crops do you harvest? And like, you know, how do you bank your money and he was like asking about the political system and economics and it was like to a point where I was learning from him <laughs> I was like wow oh. I was like how does how does this guy know so much about about the world about not to say that you know a, a taxi driver wouldn't but I was just surprised that mm. in his situation he had like such an extensive knowledge um, of what was going on in other countries and basically it turned mm. out that he's I think he's been a taxi driver in Beijing for about 11 or 12 years and he'd had so many different um, nationalities um, as as customers and he'd always had these conversations with them and he'd like yeah. picked up picked up so much knowledge and, and stories of different countries around the world and he was truly wow. like one of the one of the most interesting people I've I've ever met um, so yeah it just it just goes to show like you know, always speak to people, and you might, you might find out, uh, you know, have unexpected surprises. I suppose. Yeah, that's very cool. He he pretty much just traveled the whole world without leaving the city. That's really impressive. Mm. Oh yeah, you know, you know how you mentioned, uh, you know, when British people talk, they always they say something, but then they always imply a hundred times more than what they say. And you know, I think most of the times I. I find myself to be that person that never gets the memo. So I only understand what they say explicitly and <laughs> everything that's implicit, I just completely miss them. Yeah. I sometimes I, I just find myself like to be kind of, I don't know, in some situations I find myself feeling really stupid because I'm like, you know, how come everyone else understands what they're saying? But I don't like this was really, really prevalent when I first moved to the UK, when I first moved into my university accommodation, I was staying with seven other guys in, a, in the same flat. And there was six other guys who were, you know, born and raised British. There's one other guy from Norway and it was me. And so all the European guys, like we, we all tried to hang out together. We all tried to get to know each other. We're all hanging out in the kitchen every single day. And we would, you know, talk about random stuff, crack jokes, you know, um, and everyone's laughing, but I think at least for the first two weeks, I most of the time I didn't understand why they were laughing. I'm just like, what's so funny about this? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like 
They're laughing. I'm thinking you didn't finish your joke. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. It's like, and there's a lot of snide comments as well. I mean, I think a lot of the time when we make comments to people, it seems like it's a compliment, but actually it's like a huge insult. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that is just like a part of the sarcasm here. I mean, it can be used with anything. I mean, if I was to just say like, good job. It probably means you've done a, re a really shit job, <laughs> but no one's no one's ever gonna know. Or like, for example, um, I think there was like a business meeting, and uh, this guy was like, "Yeah, thank you for contributing," but really, what he was saying is like, "Your contribution was useless." <laughs> so like, all these different all these different types of things, but. Um, yeah, it's something to get used to. I think, to be honest, yeah. when I was in China, I had great difficulty understanding the humor. To be to be frank with you, it was, mm. uh, and of course, like I, it's not this. It's not the same because I I don't speak Chinese fluently, whereas you do speak English fluently. So, um, of course, like I was, it was limited to the amount of exposure I could have to the jokes that were being made. But um, if I was hanging around with particularly maybe Chinese guys or whatever, like the jokes were just so different. So it was sometimes like a bit like difficult to yeah. understand or, or find it funny. But that's, that's almost to be expected, I guess, when you, when you go to a different culture. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I think the fact that you didn't speak a lot of Chinese might have, uh, might have stopped you from enjoying a lot of this humor because, um, you know, like you said, the British sense of humor does take a, quite a while to get used to. But once you get used to it, well, once I got used to it, I realized, you know, the majority of it was based um, extensively on sarcasm. And I feel like that's almost exactly the same in China. Like people would use sarcasm so, so, so much. But it's just, you know, the choice of words that we use and the things that we compare stuff to, you know, the references that we make are slightly different so that it doesn't sound as much as a joke to you as it would be to me. Yeah, that, that would make sense. I mean, there's, there's probably so many things you'd have to know about and understand and learn to be able to fully yeah. understand a, jo a joke in British is what in Britain as well. I mean, or in or in China. I mean, I think you yeah you probably have to live there for a while and and speak the language um, really well to sort of benefit mm -hmm. from from that sort of humor around you. And um, I think we are probably going to do an episode on learning Chinese or learning English in the future, so we could probably probably go into it a bit more then. And um, I think. I've heard a lot that there's a big difference in the humor between like North China and South China. I was interested to hear what you uh, think about that. But you should not be biased because I know you are from North China. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was. I was just gonna say, you know, Northern China's humor is better. But uh, <laughs> I guess from a from a strictly um, non-biased point of view, I would still say Northern China's humor is better. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> No, 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 okay. Um, to be completely uh, to be completely fair, um, when it comes to humor and when it comes to performing skits, um, it seems like that people from north uh, from the north, especially people from the northeast, where you know China meets Russia and all those cold places, um, people from over there tend to have a almost like an advantage or they're they're just their jokes or their skits their sense of humor are so widely uh received and are so popular across the whole country compared to anywhere else's so that's why people would probably tell you that you know the sense of humor from northern china is better than the south because from the south there are, I believe there are other, you know, art forms and other way of expressing comedy, but it's just not as popular, you know. It is also, I think a big reason is because of the, the accent, the way that people speak from northern China. 
sounds a lot more jolly and almost, um, you know, sometimes you can say it's a, a lot more crude and maybe unpolished okay. so that it makes the jokes stand out more and the jokes are really easy for people to process. Yeah. So then people receive it better. Yeah. Whereas people from Southern China, they're more like meticulous. They're a lot more um, courteous and yeah. they tend to, they tend to be a lot more implicit with their jokes. And when, when you are very implicit, I think a lot of people just can't really get it straight away. Yeah. It actually sounds quite similar to the differences between England and, and Scotland, or at least between Southern England and perhaps Northern England and, and also Scotland, because I think Southerners, they tend to also have this sort of, these sort of implicit meanings that are hard to get yeah. and they're very courteous and, you know, perhaps when they do make a joke, it's in a very refined and uh, <laughs> well-spoken <laughs> manner. But then the further north you go yeah. and then to, to Scotland, people are are quite direct and they're, they're going to say things that are, you know, very funny, but also very offensive. <laughs> so <laughs> it, do, it does change. Um, and I also yeah. heard that there is like a bigger or perhaps a different social culture in the in the north of China compared to the south, like with regards to like how you socialize, how you like relax and that sort of thing. What, yeah, I, really I, mean is, what I really mean is drinking, but I didn't want to say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's out of the bag now, so we might as yeah. well move on to talking about drinking. <laughs> yeah. um, I'd, say, I'd say people in the north probably emphasize the drinking culture a lot more compared to people in the south. Um, you know, it's, it probably is just the same reason as why people from England and Russia and all these cold places, right, Northern Europe, why why these people drink so much is the same reason as why Northern Chinese people drink so much. It's because it's freaking cold out there in the winter. Like if you don't drink, you're gonna freeze. But if you drink, you'll be okay and you'll be happy. <laughs> whereas, in, whereas in Southern China, you don't have the same problem. You drink, you sweat, and the sun is burning you down and you just, you get baked. Right, yeah. you, you, it's, it's very uncomfortable. Yeah. So, I don't think so, people from southern China has that much of explicit drinking culture compared to people in from the north. Like people from the north, they always talk about drinking, and almost every place that you go, they have like a, um, they have like a, you know, local favorite type of liquor. Yeah. So quite different okay but it's it's interesting because actually for me when i was in the north of china like the climate is so harsh or at least for me anyway not not coming from there um and in winter it was just too cold i mean for me the thought yeah. of drinking a cold beer or drinking something i just i was not in the mood for it at all i was like it's just not good. i mean i still did no. it i still did it but it was like <laughs> <laughs> it was like i I definitely prefer, I mean, for example, if I was in a southern Chinese city and you can sit outside and it's like really hot and sunny and you just have this like lovely, like crisp, cold beer. Yeah. It's like really a perfect moment. In fact, I can't think of sure. many moments that would that would make you happier than that. And the climate like does have something to do with it. So yeah. it, is, it is interesting. Um, 100%. But, southern China is definitely built for cold beers and you know summer days coming out to chill it's kind of like the is it, it's, it's good if you're if you're used to the british pub culture but at the same time it's like if you go to the north people from the north don't drink alcohol that's cold like in the winter we always heat up the liquor that we drink yeah okay so it, really? it, it's similar to yeah, yeah yeah so it's similar to how you know in scotland you wouldn't drink cold beers in the winter but you drink whiskey Right, and then in Germany in the winter you drink mulled wine. They're all hot liquor. They're all like warm. Mm. The same same thing in China. Like we heat up the rice uh, the rice liquor that we make. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you actually drink it hot. I would I would need to try mm. that. I mean, at least yeah. of course whiskey is drank cold, but it does have a warming effect. I mean that that is it true. does. Um, and it is really nice to have that at the 
fireside on, on a winter's evening. Um, yeah. Yeah, hot, hot rice wine or hot baijiu, that's definitely something I'll have to try next time, if I'm in the yeah. north of China anyway. Uh, Ironically, though, the best baijiu that you can find in China is actually from the south. Like, Mao Tai is made in the south. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps we can so, do a tour of the, the baijiu factories or where, wherever they're made. We could go and uh, experience them all. Yeah, we could definitely go. There's, uh, mm-hmm. I think there's two or three different types of uh, fragrance. So, so you know how, like, whiskey is defined as like single malt or like blend or whatever and different kind yeah. of props that you use to ferment and distill the liquor mm-hmm. and different ways of um, distilling it right so it's different categories so when it comes to rice liquor we ha- we categorize it according to different types of fragrance that it emits okay. so there's three types i would say usually two types but you know people from people from xian or shanxi in general we had this uh you know we we like to be different and we like to create our own things so we created this type of rice liquor that's called um sifeng which is phoenix from the west kind of thing right and then we we made we created a new category of fragrance, which is called the Phoenix fragrance. <laughs> <laughs> That's very cool, yeah. Especially Phoenix yeah. from the West, yeah, I like that, yeah. But it's a shit liquor, I tell you. <laughs> really, yeah? <laughs> well, I hope they're taste, not listening to this. <laughs> really it doesn't taste really good. Yeah. And it's, it's very cheaply made because we don't have a lot of, uh, you know, high-quality crops that's growing there because okay. the climate is really bad. So, but sometimes it's a shame. Cheap, cheap liquors yeah, are the we, best. We created, yeah. a very, we created a very cool name sounding category with a, you know, yeah, subpar, a subpar, subpar quality alcohol. Yeah. I'd, I'd buy it, so, you know, if I read that, you know, the Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely buy and drink it, you know, regardless <laughs> of, the, of the taste, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay, so mm. there we go, you know, the Phoenix liquor differences between northern and southern China, uh, how to haggle for prices, and also um, etiquette required when you're in uh, the United Kingdom. I love yeah. to talk about it, yeah. Definitely, you know, how to learning how to use money correctly is a big thing for me. Yeah. Um, you know, lessons are learned. <laughs> exactly, money and drinking, yeah, let's, let's leave it on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, thank you everyone for listening to our podcast today. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. And if you have any comments, comment below and make sure you like our video. If you enjoyed it, subscribe and share with a friend. Thanks for listening. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.